We have been uh, anticipating this day for a long time. Pastor Alex contacted me and said, we're planning something and we just need to get you in and, and be a part of this special day. I love this house. It is the undoubtedly the greatest church in the galaxy. I, I got that. I know that. And uh, to be able to come with my wife, Marilee, uh, we are just so delighted to be able to celebrate with you today. We bring you greetings from Orchard Park, from my bishop, Bishop Robert Stearns. Uh, he's very, very busy today as Buffalo celebrates Israel over in a New Covenant in Tonawanda tonight at 6. If you'd like to spend the evening with us, we're going to be there. Uh, but Bishop Robert loves this house and loves these leaders and honors you and sends his appreciation for the kingdom influence you're having, not only on this side of the bridge, but we're coming across the bridge. We're, come on, we're changing names, we're new identity, but we're the same, uh, the same content, the same people of God. We're so excited about what God is doing in uh, seeing the expansion of the house. Awesome to always worship with a family, you know, uh, you're the family but this family is like off the charts. We heard it in the testimony, just off the charts, to see what God is doing in children. Last night, as I was praying about this service, it made me think about our three sons who are all involved in ministry, and I came across that scripture in 3 John chapter 1, verse 4, only one, only one chapter there. He says, I have no greater joy than to see my children walk in truth. And isn't it it? That, I mean, to see your family so involved, so engaged, and serving the Lord together, and now just absolutely new levels as this music is going to sweep the nation. And come on, this church is like, uh, we are sitting here today like, this is like, get ready, get ready, get ready. Tell the person next to you, just say, get ready, get ready. Just, I'm telling you what, this thing is going to break wide open, and you're going to influence the this entire corridor for the glory the glory of the Lord. So we're here to celebrate. We're here to honor the team. We could take the day to honor all of the leaders, not just those who are paid staff or on staff, but those who serve throughout this house. I think every one of you that would be, right? That's, you're involved at some level because you are producing as a mature body. You have found places of ministry. Maybe you're just finding your way in. But uh, especially today, we are focusing on the senior leaders, Pastor Ian and Pastor Tina, for their visionary, apostolic, prophetic leadership, their godly lives of integrity. Come on, you heard it today. These are lives we can follow. These are people we can follow. What a power team these two are. You know, they're like, oh, I was trying to think of some analogies, but... This couple of scriptures, the Bible tells us in the book of Romans 13, 7, we are to give honor to whom honors due. But then it says, Paul writes in 1 Timothy 5, 17, listen, let the elders who rule well or lead well be considered of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. And testify by the upraised hand, how many of you, they've made a rich deposit in your life of revelation and of truth, and you live a different life, as you heard today, because of what they've invested in you. Amen. Give them one more shout. Go ahead and do that just a little bit. Yay! Yeah. I came across a scripture in preparing in Jeremiah 3.15. I will give you shepherds after my own heart, the Lord says, and they will feed you with knowledge and understanding. You know, you can't get next to them without like, ooh, 
You know what I mean? Like, I want to talk about, like, silly stuff and never silly. It's always like, did you pick an apple? Yeah, you got to turn it up. You got to kill it. The apple's on the ground. You're like, I'm like, you know what? We picked apples, like, three weeks ago with our family. Never even thought about any of that. Like, we were just going, like, what kind of apple is this? You know, that's like we were doing. Not them, though, man. It's like knowledge, understanding, creation. You know what I mean? Everywhere we go. Yeah. And he, Jesus, gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. The gifts of God are sitting here today, and we love and honor you and honor you. And I, I know them well enough that if I spend the next, like, hour and a half, we, they told me that we get done at, like, three. Um, if I spend whatever time, um, they're going to be like, why would you talk about us? Talk about Jesus. He's the center. He's the one that did it for us. He's the one who's doing it for us without him. Nothing else really, really matters. And so I want to do that today. I want to talk about transforming lives that we are all experiencing. A uh, little bit of my testimony. Um, I came out of like a 10-year drug and alcohol addiction, got saved in my fourth year in the military, didn't know much about Jesus. I didn't know anything of the Bible, nothing. Anything from generations to revolutions, I knew none of the Bible, I knew none of it, I had no, no idea. I thought apostles, I thought epistles were wives of apostles. Like, I, I didn't know how that all worked. Like, I was, I knew nothing of the Bible. And uh, the guy who led me to the Lord said, you're going to know the Bible. And I'm like, the Bible? Like, how do you even do that, you know? But now after, like, it's almost been 40 years since that day uh, of transformation and deliverance, uh, I, I love the word. Don't you love the word? And it's like, it's, it is it. It is, it is where we live, the word and the spirit. I married an incredible pastor's daughter. She came to know the Lord as a little child and never, you know, never strayed, loved Jesus all her life. So like I have the delivering testimony. She has the keeping testimony. We came together. She taught me to tithe. She taught me to, she, I didn't know about that. I didn't know anything about giving, you know. I remember I used to write, we didn't make much money, like, you know, a hundred $20 a week and my $120 and 18 and I my, my tithe would be like $12.61 I would be like 10% like I'm going you know and she'd say it's okay you can round up you go go ahead and you know go ahead and trust the Lord here in this and so she taught me how to live for Jesus and walk together and now we've got like three sons all in ministry like going for Jesus same thing same deal it's the you know and to see that happen because the gospel has the power to elevate lives. And that's what this house is. This is a house of elevation. This is a house where you can come as you are, cool. You, you don't have to be anything you aren't. But you're going to discover by being in this house and being in this atmosphere, your life is just going to start to grow and increase and you're going to find elevation. So I thought of a passage of scripture. I can't preach all 66 books, but I can preach one. So I'm going to preach this morning from the book of Philemon. Would you find that in your Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Philemon. All right, you'll find it in the New Testament. Um, it's in there. It's, it's actually uh, just before the book of Hebrews, okay? And it's tucked in right after Titus. It's one of Paul's letters. And in fact, it's really not even a letter as much as it is a postcard. It's just this little tiny book. It's got 25 verses. In the original Greek, it's about 330 words. 
So Paul is just like, he's just sending a quick telegram which is to a friend and uses beauty and brevity to talk about reconciliation, about restoration, about elevation, and about equality in the gospel of Jesus. So before we read Philemon, which we'll read the 25 verses because we'll get through it quick, I want to tell you the story behind the letter. The Apostle Paul was in prison in Rome, and now he's, he's, he's aged. He's nearing the end of his ministry that started like 30 years before when he met Jesus on the Damascus Road. Do you remember reading a little bit about that? And God transformed his life, and he became a new creature in the Lord. With the assistance of a guy named Timothy, who was a son in the faith, Paul writes a letter to a man, a friend, by the name of Philemon. Okay, there are going to be three people in the story. You're going to have Paul, the author. You're going to have Philemon, who's receiving the letter. And you'll meet another individual in just a moment. Philemon was a Gentile who had come to know Jesus through Paul's ministry. And he lived over in a city called Colossae. In your New Testament, you have the letter to the church at Colossae or Colossians, the book of Colossians. So Philemon was over there in that city. He was part of perhaps that particular church. He was uh, apparently well-to-do. He was a business owner. And he had used his resources to advance the kingdom of God. He had taken what God had given him. And he said, you know what, God? I'm a steward over it. It's yours. It's not mine. And I'm going to sow what you've given me. I'm going to use every bit of influence. I'm going to use all the ingenuity you've given me. And I'm going to see the kingdom of God advance in my region. The common link between Paul and Philemon is a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. He's our third character. Onesimus, his name means useful or profitable. He was one of 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire during that time. Now you have to understand a little bit about slavery. It was as bad as it could get. Slaves were absolutely at their master's disposal. They were considered legal property, human instruments or tools that could be used and then disposed of. For the smallest offense, a slave could be whipped or scourged or mutilated or even crucified because they really had no value whatsoever. Well, Onesimus apparently had his fill of the slave life. Every, you know, he didn't own anything. He didn't have anything. And, and one day he just said, you know what? I'm, I've got to get out of here. I can't do this any longer. I can't live like this any longer. Everything he had and everything he was belonged to somebody else. Having nothing of his own, he decides to rip something off from his master's house and to take off and to get away. He's like running for his life. And he ran and he ran and he ran. And he ran 1,200 miles from Colossae over to Rome. And somehow he got in contact or came into contact with Paul. He was in Rome among the worst of the worst. If you read Romans chapter 1, that book of your New Testament, 
you'll see just how deep and how dark the world was at that moment. Not that it's gotten any better, but I'm just saying where he found himself among the bands of thieves and the dregs and the other runaway slaves and everybody who was hiding. He tried to run and hide, but God knew where he was and God knew how to find him. And somehow, although we're not told exactly how, but obviously in the providence of God, he came into contact with the Apostle Paul. Paul was preaching in Rome, but it wasn't at St. Uh, Peter's. <laughs> he was in the praetorium. He was chained to a Roman guard. He had been arrested for his faith. And what, what a way to witness to somebody. You got a guard chained to you for four hours. What do you want to talk about? Let's talk about Jesus. <laughs> and maybe it was that Onesimus was running and just so exhausted, and he fell down against the bars of the window of Paul's cell. And maybe he heard Paul, a man in chains, talking about being free. And he, and, but we don't really know, because we're not told, except for this. We know that he gave his ear, and then we know he gave his heart. He listened to the gospel, and he opened his heart to Jesus. And, and somehow came into relationship with Paul. Somehow this began to develop. However the case, he discovers that true freedom is not found in fleeing to Rome, but true freedom is found in fleeing to Christ. It's running to Jesus. Not running to some man, not running to some place. You know, they tell us that most suicides happen at resort places, beach places, because people think, you know, if I can get down there with the sun and the suds and the sand, my whole life is going to be different. But what happens? They run there and they take all their problems with them, right? That's exactly what happened to Onesimus. He runs to Rome thinking, I'm going to be free. And he finds that he gets there, he's still bound until he comes to know the Lord. And he, here he is now. He becomes a spiritual son to the Apostle Paul. And Paul begins to speak into his life. How many of you would say, here's my spiritual dad and mom right here. Come on, go ahead, just testify. Speak into my life. They speak into us. They, we trust their counsel. We trust their wisdom. And this is, what, this is the relationship now, Onesimus and Paul. We don't know how, how long it uh, was going on. You know, We don't know if he shared his past right away. Probably didn't. Took me a while to talk about my past and where I came out of. So maybe Onesimus was like, Paul, I'm just, a, you know, I'm from Rome. You know, maybe he had a story, maybe whatever. But somewhere along the line, he decided I better tell Paul the truth. Maybe Paul had taught that morning on Zacchaeus. Maybe he was saying, hey, let me tell you what Jesus taught about this guy named Zacchaeus. The guy climbed a tree. Remember him? And, uh, and he said when he came to know Jesus, he said, if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to restore it four times. Maybe Onesimus heard that and he thought, man, I ripped off this guy Philemon. I, you know, I, what should I do? So maybe after service one day, he came up to Paul and he said, hey, Paul, can I talk to you? Sure, what's going on? He said, I've never told you this, but I've got to confess. I'm a runaway slave. He said, you are? Where, where are you from? He said, I'm from a, a place in Asia called Colossae. Paul said, Colossae? Really? I know a church in Colossae. Who was your master? 
Oh, his name was Philemon. Philemon? I led Philemon to the Lord 10 years ago in Ephesus. Are you kidding me? You were one of his? How, what happened? He said, I got tired of living. I got tired of slave life. I ripped him off. I ran. I came here. I leaned up against the bars, and I got set free. What am I supposed to do? Should I, should I, should I go back? Should I confess? And Paul says, absolutely you're going back. You've got to go back. You've got to show him what happened to you. You've got to tell him your testimony. He said, I, I can't. He'll kill me. He has the legal right to put me to death. And Paul says, listen, I'm going to write you a letter. Carry this letter with you. And when you get to Philemon, give him this letter first. Before you say anything, give him this letter. It's, it's kind of like the letter you sent to school with your kid, you know. Please excuse Johnny from being, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? It's like, please excuse Onesimus from being absent from his duties. It's like that kind of a letter. And so Paul writes this, and we're going to look over his shoulder now. Come on, into Philemon. Did you find it yet? Matthew, Mark, Luke, Philemon. It's in there. It's there. Philemon chapter 1 and verse 1. Paul a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, his, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active. Ooh, listen to that. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Now, here he comes. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I appeal to you on the basis of love. I then, as Paul, an old man and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to have kept him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you do will be spontaneous and not forced. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. And so, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back. Not to mention, <laughs> you owe me your very self. Not to bring that point up. <laughs> I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ, confident of your obedience. I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, 
prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And everybody said amen, amen. As we honor this morning these incredible senior leaders of this house, again, I'm calling us to focus on the elevation and equality of the gospel and how it, this ministry here uh, at Victory and now Light City has been such an elevating force because of these leaders that serve you so faithfully. The gospel elevates. The truth of Jesus elevates people's lives. It elevates individuals. It elevates families, even societies. The gospel will meet you where you are, but it will not let you stay where you are. There is always an upward movement, always something toward betterment, toward improvement of how we live our lives. We heard the testimonies. I live a deep life now, no longer on the surface, but I live out of the truth of the revelation that God has shared with me. And this principle is seen in this, in this short letter. Think about it. A slave in the Roman Empire was like living a living death. It destroyed every shred of self-worth, of human value. It was the lowest rung of society in the ancient world. Onesimus had no protection from the law whatsoever. He could be subject to all manner of abuse and derision. But God specializes in reaching out to the throwaways and to the runaways, to the people that are uh, broken, to the people that are in bondage, to the people who are down and degraded, the ones who have been rejected, the ones that are hurting. God specializes in reaching out to them. That's me. That's probably where you came from. It was where Onesimus came from. He came under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Look at it in verse number 10. He says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. He had experienced the transforming power of Jesus and this useless life. That was where I was. Somebody asked me, what can you do in and of myself? I could get addicted to drugs and alcohol and kill myself. I came to Christ at the place of suicide. So what can you do with your life? Well, I can get addicted to drugs and kill myself. What can you do? Anything that comes from there is the work of the Lord. I love the way that Paul in verse 11, he's actually in the Greek using a play on Onesimus' name. He said, his name means useful or profitable. Look at it again. Paul writes, when you had Onesimus with you, he was not Onesimus. <laughs> when you had, un, he was unprofitable. But now Onesimus is Onesimus. He has found his identity. He has found his reality. His name means useful or profitable. And he says before he wasn't living up to his name. He wasn't living up to his destiny. He wasn't living up to the reason God had created him. But now through the power of the gospel, he's been elevated and he's found his place. And I love those, those words again. Look at it in verse 11. But now, but now, but now. But now means what? But now when we were first estranged from Christ, but now we have been brought near by the blood of the Lord. But at one point we were in darkness, but now we are children of light. Am I in the right place? 
1 Peter 2.10, you were once not a people, but now you are a people. At one time you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. How many are grateful to God that the change has happened in your life? You've been elevated up out of and you've been brought forward into the kingdom of the Lord. I know Onesimus was. And now he's making his way back 1,200 miles, wondering what's going to happen when I get there. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm going to go to my death. I'm carrying this little letter. Verse number 12, he says, I'm sending him who is my very heart back to you. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave. As a dear brother, he is dear and even dearer to you, both as a man and a brother. That is the power of the gospel. It takes you from slavery and it brings you into the family. It takes you from a place of bondage to your own hearts and your, your own desires and your own will and your own appetites. And it gives you an appetite for something real and lasting. I need to say something about slavery here just for a moment. I mentioned there was about 60 million slaves in the Roman Empire at this time. And that's significant because the population was only about double that. So every other person you would run into was a slave to someone else. That, that slavery was an inevitable part of the society. Many of the early Christians were slaves. In fact, the New Testament takes never take slavery on as an issue. It's pretty interesting. It's just a fact. It's there. And, and instead of attacking it, it says, you know what? Let's talk about how slaves are to be treated. You discover when you read the scripture that it is the treatment of slaves by their masters that is affected dramatically. Listen to the scripture from Ephesians 6, verse 5. Listen to how it, it's right. It doesn't say wrong, and I'm not advocating slavery. You'll understand in a moment. You'll be glad for that. Um, slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that it is the Lord who will reward everyone for good, or for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. And masters... This is in verse 9. Treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there's no favoritism with him. As, as wrong as slavery was, and as wrong as it is, the New Testament does not come directly against it. But instead, this is the genius of the gospel, it lays down kingdom principles for individuals that profoundly affect the concept of slavery, that if the principles of the New Testament are lived out, it produces an atmosphere where slavery will wilt and wither and die. Because what happens is the elevation of the gospel begins to take people who are looked upon as human instruments and just, uh, you know, and begins to elevate them from the status of slaves to the status of brothers, of family. Think about it for a moment. You've got three people in the letter. You've got Paul, you've got Philemon, and you've got Onesimus. You've got Paul, who is this statesman in the Christian church. Prior to that, he was uh, living a life of Jewish uh, exclusivity. He was, you know, a Pharisee. He was a prominent individual. And then he's writing to Philemon, a Gentile convert, 
who's over in like 1,200 miles away, and then in the, in the middle you've got this runaway slave, a renegade by the name of Onesimus. But each of them find wholeness and oneness in Christ, and each of them become brothers to each other, and they elevate each other, and they lift each other. We heard the testimony this morning. The thing about these leaders is, although they are sitting in the place of chief authority in this house, they don't exercise that authority to their good and to your detriment, but to your betterment. They're never looking like, well, you know, we're, I'm sorry, we're untouchable, unapproachable. Paul was able to be reached by a slave who needed his help. What really touches me when I read this little letter, Sam, you might not know the rest of the 65 books, but you'll know Philemon when we're done. What touches me about this letter is the honesty of Paul. I love this letter because Paul, um, I don't think he ever expected this letter, this little postcard, to find its way into the canon of Scripture. Like when he wrote this, he never dreamed that somehow this was going to be an authoritative book inspired by the Spirit of God. It's not like one of his public letters. There's no doctrinal composition. He's not addressing some theological issue. Instead, it's like a behind-the-scenes look in how Paul lived his life. And I love this. Because sometimes when you go behind the scenes, you can be really disappointed. You know, in Buffalo, maybe here as well, you know, Disney is like crazy. I've never seen people so like Disney-minded. You know, the mouse, you know, the mouse. You know, when you go to Disney, I don't want to go behind the scenes. I don't want to know that it's computers that make the bears sing. I don't want to know that Mickey is a smelly guy in a suit. I don't want to know that. I don't want to get behind the scenes and be like disappointed. Like, this is like Magic Kingdom. There's no magic here at all. It's all computers. I don't want that. But what's really cool is when you go behind the scenes of Paul's life, there's no disappointment. You know, Paul writes this in the letter to the Colossians, by the way, Philemon's hometown. He writes this in chapter 3 and verse 11, that in Christ there's neither Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but, it, but Christ is in all, or Christ is all and in all. And I want to say to Paul, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you really believe that? Do you really believe like that we're really all equal? And then you read Philemon. <laughs> and he's saying, this Gentile renegade, runaway slave is my brother. And he and Philemon and I sit together at a common table called the Lord's Supper. And we're all on equal footing at the cross. We're all the... I believe it. That's what... Isn't that powerful? They've been made new by the blood of Jesus. Paul writes to this beloved Philemon and he says, I love this, receive him back. Welcome him. The ESV says, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Paul is saying it's time to be large-hearted. It's time to be generous. It's time to be open. It's time to be uh, uh, you know, magnanimous in your spirit. Paul is praying that he will be welcomed back, that he won't be put to death for what he's done, but instead he'll truly be received as a brother. Paul receives a runaway slave by the name of Onesimus. Onesimus, through Paul, receives Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And now he says to Philemon, please receive him back as your brother. And so we have to ask the question, did he? Did he receive him back when he got there? What happened to him? Well, 
I have a couple ideas. It doesn't really tell us in the scripture, but a couple things give us some clues. Number one, the letter still exists. <laughs> if I was Philemon and I read the letter and I killed Onesimus, I'd kill the letter too, you see. That letter wouldn't be anywhere, man. I'd get the shredder quick and be like, I'm sorry, I never saw anything, Paul. What are you talking about? You know, a guy did me wrong, I'd do him right, you know. But the letter's here. So if the letter's here, then that's sort of the indication that maybe, yeah, maybe like he did what he said he was doing. He hefted the letter like, look at this, I just, Paul told me to do this. Second thing, over in Colossians. Colossians chapter 4 and verse 7. Written about the same time, but apparently, I'm going to surmise, spiritual imagination, I'm going to surmise that Onesimus was forgiven. And, and you remember when Paul said, I would have loved to have had him to minister to me? And I believe Philemon said, you know what? Go back to Paul. Go serve Paul. Go and bless him. Go meet his needs. I can't be there right now. You go and be uh, his helper. Because it says this in Colossians chapter 4. Tychicus, who is, will tell you of the news about me, he is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. Listen to the next verse, verse 9. And he's coming with Onesimus. Our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you, right? He came from, came from there. And they will tell you everything that's happening here. So it appears to me that Philemon not only forgave Onesimus, but he freed Onesimus to be who he needed to be in the kingdom of God. That's good leadership right there. Go ahead and be who God's called you to be. But then there's something else. There's another letter. It's not in your Bible. It's not inspired. It's not authoritative. But it is undoubtedly genuine. It's a letter that was written in about A.D. 110, about 50 years later than we can date the letter to Philemon. It was written by a church father by the name of Ignatius. Have you ever heard of him in your studies of church history? Ignatius was being taken to Rome for execution. And while he was in Rome, he was visited by a bishop. And guess the bishop's name, Onesimus. Could it be possible that this same runaway slave who had just had no value in the earth whatsoever comes in contact with a spiritual leader who recognizes the value of human life and begins to speak truth and destiny and purpose and meaning into their lives so that all of a sudden they realize, you know, God didn't create me to stay a slave. God called me to be a son and a daughter. And God called me to rise up and to be everything that I'm called to be. I mean to come on, Bishop Onesimus. I wonder how many people we have written off. How many people have we said, oh, Onesimus, yeah, run away, thief, liar, how many people have we... Be careful, you might be talking about the next bishop. Because God has this power to elevate. Let me close in asking this. If the mysterious providence of God is seen, 
in getting Onesimus to Rome and getting Onesimus to Paul, do you think that perhaps it is the providence of God that brought you to this house? His kindness and mercy that directed you to sit in a place of health and strength, to sit in a place where you could just be who you are and let God build you into who he wants you to be? See, your life, like Onesimus's, was filled with all kinds of twists and turns, but they brought you to the place where you're sitting here on this particular morning in this particular place. So let me ask you to ask yourself this question. Could I be here this day because God intends to bless me? Could all of what's happened in my life that brought all of this to here be God's intent that he might bless me? Could I be here this day because God sees that I am Onesimus? Paul's letter presents a picture of the reconciliation of the gospel. Three people, Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. I want you to see Philemon as the father. The father. And I want you to see Onesimus as you and me, the runaway slave who... <laughs> thumbed our nose at God and went our own way and we ran for our lives and we thought we could figure it out on our own, right? We thought, you know, we don't need, we don't. Now we've offended the Father. We've offended our heavenly Philemon. What are we going to do? How are we ever going to get back? Well, just as, just as Onesimus and Philemon were reconciled in Paul, so you and I are reconciled to God in Christ. Do you remember what Paul said? He says, if he's offended you or wronged you, charge it to my account. It's exactly what Jesus said. He said to the Father, whatever they've done, they don't have to pay. I'll pay. Charge it to my account. Put it on me, and I will bear the price for their offense. And then as Paul says to Philemon, and welcome him as you would welcome me. Jesus turns to the Father and says, welcome them as you welcome me. Receive them as you receive me. And this morning, if the providence of God brought you through the door, maybe for the first time here, or maybe somebody invited you and you're like, I'm just kind of running. I don't know my way. I, this, this message was for me. I just want you to turn to him this morning and say, you know what? Luther said it this way, we are all the Lord's Onesimai. <laughs> we are all the Lord's Onesimai. We are all in that position. And you can find elevation and equality in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Father, that there is grace in this house for each of us who turn to you right now. Whatever place we are in. We thank you for a, a house of health and strength and joy and victory. We thank you, God, for a place of elevation. Wherever anybody walks in, whatever level they are, not looked down upon, but matter to you and matter to them, matter to this house. And they can find a place where elevation happens, where their life can find dignity and, and purpose and meaning through your gospel. We bless the servants of this house the senior leaders, Pastor Ian and Pastor Tina, and we thank you for them. We bless them this morning and ask you, God, that you would open heaven over them. The dreams that they have in their hearts, the things they see in their spirits would be fulfilled in your way, in your time, by your power and your glory, that your name would be made famous throughout all the earth. 
We pray for friends in this sanctuary this morning, the Onesimai who have come to Jesus and come back home, those that are finding their place in this house and finding growth and maturity in Jesus under this leadership. We thank you for each and every one. And for any this morning who come today and say, this is my day of being reconciled to God. Lord, meet them at the point of their need and bring them your grace and favor. In Jesus' name, amen.